Hey everybody, welcome to Therapy for Humans, the podcast where if you're not careful, you might just pick up some tips on how to survive as a more or less psychologically intact human in the modern world. My name is Rowan, and I'll be your host. Hey y'all, welcome back. Episode 12, Therapy for Humans. Welcome to 2019. I hope all your holidays went well and you made it through. It's been kind of a roller coaster around here. Uh, shortly before Christmas, our oldest daughter, who was in her first semester of college, decided college wasn't really her thing, or at least not right now, so she dropped out and took my wife Anna and I a little while to wrap our heads around that, because we didn't see it coming. At the end of the day, we trust her to make her own decisions, and we know that she'll do fine. Happily for us, she decided to live in Montpelier, Vermont, which is very close to two of our best friends, and two women who, in fact, were in the room when Maya was born. One of them spent her whole Sunday this week retrieving Maya from Massachusetts, where she landed and getting her settled into her new apartment in Montpelier. And she found this place on Craigslist with some random woman that nobody knows, so, you know, that's not nerve-wracking at all. Anyway, this got me thinking about the choices our loved ones make, and how we can learn to be with that, even when it knocks us off balance. So in this case, it took me about a month to really get clear that the fears that I was having, and therefore the control I was trying to exert onto the situation, was really all my own shit. It didn't belong to Maya. I'm at a time in my life, I'm 49, I'm kind of looking back on a lot of the choices that I made. I'm seeing both the wisdom and the folly of those choices, and especially when it comes to financial outcomes, those little trips down memory lane can be pretty fucking brutal. And I don't want Maya to make those same mistakes. I want both my girls to do better than we have done. I, I don't believe necessarily that a bachelor's degree in some arbitrary thing is the path to success by any means. And with the cost of higher education exploding to absolutely ridiculous amounts, there's more and more to be said for pressing pause and taking stock of what truly makes sense for each individual. Now, having said that, I also believe that having a degree does put you in a different category when you're looking for work, even work that does not require a degree. So that's where I got stuck, not wanting her to struggle the way we have, wanting her to have more freedom, less debt, and maybe a clearer path. But again, this is all my shit. It doesn't belong to her. So I had to spend some time shifting my attitude, and I'm getting there. She needs to be free to make her own mistakes, and she will. And as Annie LaCroix from a Brainy Boss podcast uh, and I discussed in the last episode, that's how we learn. Mistakes are valuable, and they're necessary. And it may very well be that leaving school will not turn out to be a mistake for her at all. So, I don't know. The other little piece of insight that Anna and I managed to gather for ourselves possibly helped along by some really good tequila. Thank you, Tirza. And some equally good Colorado green bud. Thank you, Colorado State Legislature. Is that college acts as an interim place between being completely under your parents' control, or at least their illusion of control, and being totally on your own. It's like this social-emotional testing ground where you get to try stuff out and see how it goes, and often the stakes are less high than they are after college. Um, at least from a parental perspective, it feels like your kid is being looked after in college. This probably isn't as true as we want to think, but college is not the real world. And between the RAs and the RDs and the professors, 
there's a sense that someone is paying attention at least part of the time. And there's a sense of peace of mind that comes with that for the parents of a newly minted freshman in college. So having Maya out of that incubator and just living her life like the rest of us feels just a little bit scarier, I think, to us. So anyway, this is where insane amounts of gratitude for our Vermont friends come in. Janine, who lives closest to Maya now and helped her get all of her shit figured out on Sunday, is the kind of woman you want your daughters to hang around with. Or at least we do. Both she and her partner Patty have built a life for themselves that, in many ways, is what Anna and I were trying to always get to for the last 30 years. But we moved around too much, I jumped careers too often, and we kind of lost the thread um, on a lot of what they were able to accomplish. And they live in one of the sweetest houses I've ever, I've ever walked into. Do you ever just go into a place and it just feels like home? That's the way their place feels all the time. And Patty built this home herself, and it's as stunning aesthetically as it is in terms of the vibe. Um, you can actually see photos of this house. Uh, it's a great, there's a great book uh, called The House That Jill Built, and it's a collection of women owner-builders. Um, I don't know if they're all in Vermont. I know there's a few of them, at least in Vermont. Um, anyways, totally worth checking out. It's a fantastic book, and um, you get to see their house, and they're just amazing people. Anyway... So we talked to Janine on Saturday night before she picked Maya up just to kind of check in, um, you know, mostly to soothe maybe our own anxieties and just plain heartache of missing our kid after having been able to hang out with her over the holidays. And at one point, Janine, no doubt sensing some of our concerns, said, hey, just let me know how you want me to support her and I'll do it. And my response to that surprised me a little bit. But in retrospect and kind of sitting with it for a day or two now, it, it feels true. It feels important. I told her that I wanted her to support Maya in the way that she felt was best, even if that differed at times from what we wanted for her. It's important for Maya to hear a variety of opinions and concerns so that she can make her own choices. And in that moment, I had such a sense of gratitude for Janine, for the work she's willing to put in for Maya, for the amazing woman that she is, and just the fear, sheer fact that she's still in our lives in a way that lets us be okay with all this, that lets us be okay with this imposition, although Janine wouldn't say it is, but it's a lot to ask. Those are big asks. Years ago, I asked something of her that was probably unfair of me to ask, but I was in a place where I needed someone to be there for me, even though I was in a place that made that a big ask. But she did what I asked, and more importantly, she did it in a way that both supported me and held me accountable in a way that I needed more than anything else in that moment. So through that, she demonstrated a wisdom and a grace that was far beyond almost anyone else in my life at that time, certainly far beyond my own behavior. So this is why I know I can trust her to guide my kid, even if that's in opposition to what I feel is best in the moment, because I could be wrong. And Maya needs to hear more than just my one voice that might be clouded by my own demons. So at the end of the day, that's much more important than any agenda I might hold for her. And the fact that I have these women up there who I know will be watching and guiding helps me back off a little and allow Maya to take the reins of just her own damn life. There's another whole love note I could write to our other friend, Beth, who was also in Vermont, who was also one of the first humans to see her enter the world and who will also be supporting her, but I'll leave that for another time. The bottom line is that my gratitude for these women is endless. And I hope as I've been going on here about all of this, that it's brought 
to mind for you, those in your life who have your back, and by extension, the backs of your kids if you have them. It's really the greatest gift that we can give each other. Man, okay, sorry, that was kind of a long thing, but... um, And that was just one part of my holiday experience. Uh, I was also able to spend a few days with my best friend from high school. Um, And this guy, as well as his parents, completely saved me when I was in high school. They were able to connect with me in a way that no one really ever had before. um, And it was something I desperately needed. They they were new to the East Coast. Um, I grew up in Massachusetts, and they had moved out from Iowa. Before that, they spent time in the Southwest. And they just had the Western vibe. They were just more open and more, um, I don't know, willing to get curious about who I was. And um, it just blew me away. So I had this really cool, beautiful moment with his mom over dinner uh, in Santa Fe when we went to pick him up. And I had planned to kind of let her know how much my relationship with her meant to me back then. And before I even got to it, she looked at me from across the table and she looked at me and she said, you saved me when we were living back there. And I was floored. I was like, that's my fucking line. Like, what, what are you talking about? It had never occurred to me that I had been as important to her as she was to me at that time. I was a kid, you know, I was like... 15, 16, when I met her. Um, So anyway, it was just really nice. We thanked each other and had all those sweet lovey feels that come with all that. And we brought my friend back up to Durango and spent a nice few days with him. And I got to reconnect with his stepdad, who I hadn't seen in like 30 years, um, who had also been a really important relationship for me during those high school years. So here's where it gets fucked up. I get a text like a day after he left. And it's from him, and it says that um, they had been in a head-on collision outside of Boulder on New Year's Eve. They were on their way to the airport to pick up his wife, and they're all okay, but he's looking at a long recovery process. His stepdad wasn't hurt quite as badly, but it could have been so much worse. He could have died. They both could have. It was one of those moments when you realize that any of the many people you love could just disappear at any moment, and it was a really fucking intense way to ring in this new year. Anyway, so <laughs> to all my clients who say, wow, this just feels so one-sided. I don't really get to hear about your life. Well, there you go. That's a little snippet of <laughs> the last couple of weeks of my life. Um, how are you doing? I'd love to hear from you. We did get one email this week, and here it is. They say, hi, Rowan. My husband suffers from anxiety, especially in social situations, and it really affects our social life. Often I want to go spend time with friends, but he's not into it and doesn't feel capable. I know he feels bad about this, and I know that at times I get resentful, so how can we work with this? Well, thanks for your email. Uh, First, I want to point out that, you know, I like that you named that you get resentful sometimes, so good for you. Knowing that um, and knowing that that's in the mix is important. And it probably keeps you from being even more resentful than you would be if you weren't so consciously aware of that. And for the record, you get to be resentful of the situation. Even better if you can recognize that this resentment, it lies with the situation and not with your husband himself. So I hope that part makes sense. Okay, so there's a couple of different moving parts here. First, um, you said your husband feels bad. I'm sure he does. And again, it's important that you know this. Social anxiety sucks. It's crippling. It often leads to isolation and depression. Um, 
So I, I'm curious about whether he gets anxious with just one or two others, or if it's just in larger groups or just with folks he doesn't know very well. And all of those things are important because it would shape how you would go about improving on this. Um, and one thing that needs to be said is that you get to go out without him. In fact, it's essential that you do this. If you're craving more social interaction in your life, then you need to go get that. And this will help with your resentment. It's important for you not to get dragged down in the isolation that your husband is experiencing and, and that he's kind of placing on himself and by extension onto you. So you need to have some honest conversations with him about where he's at. Does he wish that he went out more or is he okay with his current level of social interaction? Maybe by his standpoint, none of this needs to be changed. Um, it may be that you just have different needs around this. But make sure that you talk to him about this. Make sure that you get him to a place where he can honestly tell you if he's okay with the current situation because it means less anxiety for him versus being okay with it because he truly doesn't feel the need or desire for more interaction. If he does want to go out more, then you can actually be a big help with this. Look for opportunities to push his comfort zone a little without overwhelming him. Exposure is really the best course of action for social anxiety, but that doesn't mean we want to lock him up in a room full of people and not let him out. It means setting up those situations so that he has an exit strategy. If he knows that he can just leave at any moment, then he might be able to hang in longer than he thinks. And often it's the fear of not having control that can amp up the anxiety. So I know I've talked about this before, but the goal here with anxiety in general and, and certainly with social anxiety is not to get rid of the anxiety. It's to raise his tolerance for it. So let me say this again because it's really important and it can be the linchpin to really shifting his experience. He may always feel somewhat anxious in certain situations and that's okay. What matters is if he can hang in there with that feeling or not. So most people get hung up on this thinking that the goal is the absence of anxiety, but it's not. The goal is to be able to feel that anxiety and not be controlled by it. As time goes on and you raise your tolerance, the anxiety will lessen because you stop feeding into it. When we have anxiety, our adrenals get all fired up. And when we feel that feeling, if we keep getting more and more anxious and worked up around that anxiety, then our system keeps feeding it. And then it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling loop. On the other hand, if we feel that anxiety and just acknowledge it, if we know that we can hang in there with it in this moment, and if in future moments it gets to a place where we can't, that it's okay to leave, then that sense of being trapped or not in control dissipates, which stops feeding that fight or flight response, and our systems start to settle. But the key is to set himself up for some wins. I'm, again, I'm pretty sure I talked about this on other podcasts, but the main thing here is to work on that tolerance. Find situations that he can come and go at, so not a sit-down dinner party where that would be awkward if he just like got up and bolted. But um, like some of the outdoor stuff that Durango has in summer would work really well because he can leave the crowd and go for a walk alone and then circle back when he's able to. So like Taste of Durango or, uh, you know, any of the other outdoor sort of festival stuff we have going on. Um, the other thing I would suggest is to find a few folks that you both like that you can hang out with at your place or at theirs so that you both get to be social together, but it doesn't feel as overwhelming for him. Um, and then the last thing on this is that often social anxiety is rooted in low self-esteem and it could help to have him work with a therapist around that and by extension work with his anxiety. 
So, so good luck. And um, right back in at some point, let me know how you're doing with that. Okay, so my last podcast, um, Annie asked me at the end of her podcast, besides my worky stuff, what do I do really well? And I said that I make to, made a great ki- uh, chicken stock. So I've had a few people uh, reach out to me since then and ask for my chicken stock recipe. So I'm going to lay it on you. You're not going to have to write it down because it's more of a technique thing than an ingredient thing. Stock is just, a, you know, it's just putting a bunch of shit in a pot and letting it really slowly bubble forever. But um, what I think sets my stock apart is something that I learned um, years ago from a chef that I worked under and he became a good friend of mine. His name was Tom. Um, he roasts his vegetables. So, so making a chicken stock, usually you have like a leftover chicken carcass. Maybe it's in the freezer or maybe you just roast the chicken. It's fresh. That goes in the pot with the water, turn it on and just bring it up to a boil. Um, you don't want to ever boil your stock. You want to bring it up to a simmer and then hold it at a really light simmer. My grandmother, my, my mom's mom always referred to, to this just barely bubbling as it's smiling. I have no idea why, but <laughs> it always stuck with me. Now it makes me smile when I, when I look at my stock pot. But, um, so the, the main thing about making a great stock is that while your chicken and your water is coming up, you put a bunch of onions and celery and carrots in a roasting pan with olive oil, salt and pepper and tomato stock or tomato paste. And you mix it up, not a lot of tomato, like a tablespoon of tomato paste. You don't want a lot of it in there. And then you roast that in a 400 degree oven until it starts to caramelize. Get some color on it. It can be, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes, maybe even an hour, depending if your veggies are cold. And once those are really cooking, you don't want to like cook them hard. You just want to get some color on the outside of them. Stir them around a couple of times, pull those out, dump them into the stock pot, get some water out of the stock pot, put it back in the roasting pan and deglaze the pan, get all that good stuff off of there, put that back in the pot. And your stock is immediately going to have this beautiful sort of deep uh, caramel color because of the, the um, tomato paste and the caramelization on the veggies. And it just has a depth of flavor that you're not going to get if you just put stuff in a pot and, and then simmer it for hours. So there you go. That's the secret. Roast your veggies. You can roast the bones of the, um, of the chicken if you want as well. Um, especially if for some reason they weren't roasted, if they were, if you boiled, uh, some meat that had a bone on it. Um, so it didn't get that kind of roasty flavor. You can, you can roast it in with the veggies, but the key there, roast the vegetables with a little bit of tomato paste, and and then you'll have this amazing stock for whenever you need it. I I tend to make ga- like literally gallons of it at a time and just throw it in the freezer um, in uh, two or four quart containers, and you'll just never buy stock again. And all of your friends will love you when they're sick and you drop off this amazing soup for them. You can just the broth alone is awesome. If you make a soup with it, it's even better. So, okay. So there you go. Lots of weird shit on this podcast. Um, mostly personal stuff. So let me know what you think. Um, if you have a question, um, for the podcast, please get in touch. Uh, you can leave a voicemail at one eight four four Durango. That's one eight four four three eight seven two six four six. Uh, you can also email me at rowan at therapyforhumanspodcast.com. And 
And if you're interested in seeing me in person for therapy, you can get in touch with me through DurangoPsychotherapy.com. Or you can call or text me at 903-3893. And that's 970 area code. So I think I'm going to start doing the podcast every two weeks. So don't freak out next Tuesday when there isn't one. I'll be coming around the following Tuesday. And in the meantime, uh, keep in touch. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. 